I remember watching The Crocodile Hunter when I was little. Every episode was about this dusty man standing waist deep in a river, talking in a funny accent about how he couldn't wait to get his hands on a huge snarling croc. This was my image of Australians. As we both started traveling internationally in high school and college, we kept running into Australians. They had already been traveling for months when we met them and were still deciding where they'd go next. Ireland, Argentina, Thailand. South Africa, Munich, India, Hong Kong, San Fran, New Zealand. After returning to the States, we shared stories about our travels and heard friends talk about meeting Australians too. We began to wonder why young Australians were traveling so much. What were they after? We started investigating and learned that our observations were correct. Australians do travel, a lot. Even though as Americans, we may think of Australia as a tourist destination, the land of scuba diving, shrimp barbies, and outback adventure, Australia is actually a net exporter of tourism, meaning that more Australians depart than visitors come in. According to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, over 8.2 million Australians departed the country in 2012. That's the equivalent of 36 overseas trips for every 100 Australian residents. The U.S., in comparison, sees the equivalent of eight overseas trips per 100 residents. Now we were even more intrigued. Where were they going, and why? We decided to go down under to find out. I'm Kelly Vickers. And I'm Eliza Gazik. Traveling and studying abroad in high school and college have been formative parts of both of our lives. We felt some kindred connection with the Australians we met. It was like their wanderlust validated our own thirst for exploring. We traveled to Australia to find out more about how they had earned their reputation as globetrotters. Some of the stories we heard reminded us of our own first experiences discovering worlds outside those we knew. My name is John Grant. I go to uni at Canberra, which is Australia's capital. We went to a place called Halong Bay, off the north of Vietnam. In the distance you can see these islands. And as you get closer, they sort of loom. They look like floating mountains. The people who lived there would live on these floating cities. And it just made me think of something you would see in Star Wars or something. They had these tiny little houses that were no bigger than a few metres by a few metres and they were all connected together on floating drums and in between the houses were these panelled walkways of wood that would make squares and end up making a square pattern in between the houses and in those squares they would hang nets and grow fish and so every square had a different kind of fish or a different squid or a different shark or a different something and they lived on floating islands and they had but they all had um, little satellite dishes and TVs in there and some of them had dogs that would live on the floating boards and like it was bizarre. Like, I didn't know people lived like that. I'd never read anything about that. It just felt like lost world. We were all completely unprepared for how overwhelming and how wondrous this place was. Tony said once, he was like, I thought only rich people could come to places like this and see these amazing wonders and it's all here in Asia. And and I think that was, yeah, that was definitely one of those moments where the world sort of seemed so much bigger and full of things. Mm. It was tantalising the idea that the world held more than I knew and that I could go out there and find out about it. The world is only as big as you know it and so the more I knew, the bigger the world got and the more bright it looked. John's world expanded as he travelled. 
and this only made him want to travel more. I went away and I came back and now I'm constantly thinking about when I'm going to leave and what I'm going to do and how I'm going to go into the world. So I'm not settled in Canberra and I don't want to be settled in Canberra. Like John, many Australians are hooked by their first trip abroad. The travellers we talked to went away, came back, and then went away again. And again. And again. Dr. Ashley Carruthers is an anthropologist and lecturer at Australian National University. He told us about his students, who he described as quintessential Australian travellers. Probably Australian backpackers in general are characterised by, by gameness. Okay? So they're very willing to, to and, and desiring to rough it and to experience something that we could say is, is authentic from their point of view uh, in their travels. This might not always be wanting just to have a fun time when you're a backpacker. It can mean actually having a bad time and then afterwards saying that that was valuable or that that was good. The etymological root of the word travel is to toil. Though John's description of Halong Bay was beautiful and mesmerizing, most of the stories we heard involved hardship. People talked about challenges being key to their travels. They told us stories of getting their passports and visas soaked in rivers in Kathmandu, showering with pigs in Vietnam, or using toilets that looked like alien objects in Malaysia. John told us a story about meeting up with his friends Ed and Alice in Beijing. Their group split up on their way to watching the World Cup final between Holland and Spain. The other half of the group went with Ed, the guy who spoke Mandarin quite well. And then the rest of us piled into the taxi with Alice, who, after getting into the taxi, had that realisation of, well, I've never actually come here alone, I don't know where we're going, and I only speak broken Mandarin. <laughs> so we ended up spending hours driving around Beijing, trying to find where we were going, and we finally got to find Ed, who'd fallen asleep at the door of the place we are going to. And we went upstairs, and Ed had food poisoning the day before, and we were sitting on the roof, and it was pouring down rain, and we are watching the World Cup final, and we are like, okay, it's going to be great, it's going to be great. And then no one, it was probably the worst World Cup final in the world because no one scored the entire game. And then right at the end, they had to have extra time. And for a soccer game that's gone for 90 minutes, you're like, what is extra time going to do? <laughs> Seriously. And then it went extra time and then it went to penalty shootout. And in the end, Holland lost. It was one of those things again where like no one was having a great time because we were all so tired, but it then became hilarious. Even just a couple hours can be trying while traveling. But toil took different forms for the travelers we talked to. I'm Prashan Paramnathan. I'm 29 years old. As we sat on the couch in his new apartment in Sydney, drinking the popular Australian Tim Tams with tea, Prashan told us about how a year he spent in Copenhagen presented some unexpected challenges. Growing up in, in, in Australia in the 90s, it was hugely multicultural and you had kind of every single colour under the sun in, in your classroom. So you're always interacting with a bunch of other people and... I remember um, I told someone in Denmark um, that I was from Australia, and so I'm, I'm kind of brown right? um, from, from Sri, Sri Lankan heritage. And I told him I was from Australia, and he looked at me, and he's dead set, asked me, "Are, are you adopted?" <laughs> I was like, "How did you get there?" Um, and, and and he wasn't trying to be offensive and he wasn't kind of joking. He was quite serious because 
if you see a brown Danish person who says they're Danish, actually there's a good chance that they're adopted. Prashant's family moved to Australia from Sri Lanka when he was a young boy. He was shocked that other people in the world thought of Australians as ethnically homogenous. There was this just this kind of bizarre to me lack of interaction, understanding of uh, of this, and so there was all these norms that had built up about foreigners that, for me, were so hard. I mean, it took me a long while to realize that actually it was just because. There was nothing kind of bad about Danish people. There was nothing kind of wrong with them. It was just that they hadn't interacted with a lot of people from different places, and I had, and that that was all. That was all the difference. Just hit home how important it is for me personally that you know, people interact with people who are who are, who are different. But when I looked over at Australia for a long time, I was like, oh my god, this is. Amazing that we've managed to have so many people from different places that、um, kind of more or less get on quite well. Prashant is one of many Australians of a migrant background. Almost one in four Australian residents were born outside of Australia, and many more are first or second generation citizens. In many ways, these Australians are the mainstream of the nation.、Um, this is a migrant nation.、Uh, people like me of of、um, Anglo-Celtic heritage, are, you know, have mostly only been around two or three, three generations. Okay, so we forget that we are in fact、uh, migrants ourselves, and this label migrant tends to be put on people who don't look Anglo-Saxon or who don't speak English as a first language. Australia is one of the most ethnically diverse nations in the world. Even the country's beginnings were colourful. Captain Cook claimed Australia for Britain in 1770. The British Empire used the island as a penal colony and sent prisoners there for crimes as menial as stealing a loaf of bread. Australia was tied to Britain politically, but halfway around the world, floating in a sea between Asia and South America, on an island bigger than all of Europe. Despite its status as a commonwealth under British rule. Australians knew their national identity was distinct from Britain's, but as Dr. Crothers explained, they didn't quite know what their identity was. There is this sense of kind of trying to discover who we really are, to f- kind of deal with some sense that there's some kind of lack or, or question around what our distinct national identity is. Because they had come from so many different places. Travel became a way to understand the diverse roots that made Australia unique as a nation. Part of our kind of ritual of coming to maturity was to travel overseas. I think there's a really interesting kind of phenomenon of people、uh, of migrant backgrounds. Taking up the possibilities of travel to and communication with and engagement with former homelands or their parents' former homelands are、uh, uh, in this current sort of period of transnationalism and globalisation. For some travellers, going abroad helped them understand their roots. My name's Mel. I live in Sydney. I'm 28 years old. Mel's dad came to Australia from Italy when he was five. When Mel started travelling by herself. 
she sensed a strange connection with the older generations of her family, who had immigrated to Australia. I just was so surprised by people's ingenuity and practicalness, like the practical nature, problem-solving nature, using not much to build what they needed. And it reminded me so much of my grandparents who came here from Italy in the 1960s. We also got to speak with Mel's mum. I think the, tra- the travel that she does has helped her to understand her own um, mixed culture of being half Italian, half Australian, and she's probably more Australian than Italian in that, but she, it, it's helping her to identify the two different cultures within herself. Travel isn't always about tracing one's ancestral roots. It can also be about riding one's own path in unexpected ways. My name's Theo. I'm uh, 28. I'm Sydney born and bred. We met up with Theo for brekkie in the park. He was just preparing to go to Italy for, believe it or not, the sixth time. In 2004, Theo traveled to Italy for the first time. I felt totally in love with it. Uh, we were in Florence most of that time, but we also saw Rome and a lot of t- uh, towns in Tuscany and went up to Venice as well. And um, that absolutely, I got absolutely hooked. He ended up moving to Italy, to Florence, and completing his PhD in Italian literature there. Whenever I go over there, it's like I unzip myself from top to bottom and I step out as my other self. We only speak Italian uh, and we have wonderful times. In fact. The last time I was there, which is two years ago, um, <laughs> we were all having dinner and speaking Italian and everything. And, and, and then one of my friends said, Theo, we've only ever spoken Italian with you. We've never heard you speak English. Can you speak some English for us? So I said, all right, sure. So I lapsed into speaking English just as I am now. And they all did this double take. They couldn't believe it because I was, um, my, the tone of my voice had apparently changed. I was completely unconscious of it. The tone of my voice changed, my body language changed, because when you, when you speak Italian you are much more vocal and you use your hands. And so now there's this two of me, and uh, the other one is this sort of hologram over in Italy right now. And in two weeks, in, in two or three weeks in fact, I'm going to go and re-inhabit him. <laughs> there is this build-up of a, of, a, of a separate self. Theo had discovered a distinctly Italian version of himself overseas. Many of the people we talked to told us about uncovering new dimensions of their personality when they were forced out of their comfort zone traveling. It's all been about like finding, finding, and I know it's such a cliche to say finding yourself, but like, you know, yourself is yourself, right? But I don't know, the way people set up their values is to look at examples and try use them to triangulate their own beliefs. This idea of finding oneself elsewhere is celebrated in Australian society. cities that never closed down from New York to Rome and all London town but no matter how far or how wide I roam I still call Australia home This is a song called I Still Call Australia Home Everyone in Australia knows the words it's the theme of Qantas Airlines, Australia's largest airline. I think it's, it's probably burned into our national psyche. 
it's there as a kind of de facto national anthem, this, this advertising jingle, telling us back in Australia, I haven't forgotten you. you know, I haven't lost my authenticity as an Australian because I've become this global citizen and this cosmopolitan expat. So this is kind of my, my, my hymn, my song to those back home to, to kind of reaffirm the authenticity of my national identity. And it also becomes a kind of moment of self-discovery or self-actualization. So it's saying that I find who I am and I become this kind of nationalistic Australian in the moment of that nostalgia. So it's, it's quite a complex construction of nationalism. It's kind of perfect, ironically, because it is an airline theme song. It's a national anthem in the sense that it's a traveler's anthem. Then it's the search that binds Australians. The rest of the world may view them as gregarious travelers on a one-way ticket to explore the world. But travel also casts a light on where they've come from. It helps them discover and define their identity as individuals, as immigrants, and as citizens. Prashan explained that for Australians, travel is not only a good thing, it is necessary. I think if you don't travel, you don't realise that how arbitrary your whole kind of perspective on life actually is. I, I, get, I get a little bit kind of scared when people don't do it. I think it's really, really easy to think that your way of the world makes sense and there's kind of some sort of innate rightness to the way that you do things. And I think travel is probably the best way of blowing that out of the water. Seeing other ways of life around the world also helps them understand Australia, triangulate it, as John said. For Prashan, this gave him an appreciation of Australia's multiculturalism. Our travelers described how they felt when their return flights touched down on Australian soil, bringing them back home from adventures abroad that had lasted months or even years. When you get back, you have the post-holidays blues and you're sort of struggling to settle in. Culture shock upon returning home is characterized by a visceral feeling of disorientation. It's like the song that was playing in your head while you were traveling starts to skip and sputter it becomes dissonant against the backdrop of your once familiar surroundings. It's easy to want to go back and find that harmony again. The upside of that is the fact that when you do have a bit of a crappy day and you feel yourself going back into the routine of everyday life at home, you think, oh, hang on a sec. I was so different and happier when I was away. What was that? Oh, I think it was just my attitude. I was open to stuff. I was open to new experiences, new people talking to people I wouldn't necessarily talk to and it, it, it's amazing how quickly you start losing that at home but then as soon as you realize and you go oh I can just do that here too then it's amazing and you're much happier and I think much more fulfilled with your day-to-day -day existence. This came as a realization for Alex too. You know the best way to come back from travel is just to stiff, make it feel like you're still traveling. Alex applies this mindset walking around Sydney. He talks to people on the street, asks for recommendations of places to go, and tries things he's never eaten before, even if they look dodgy. 
he's found a way to be a traveler in his own country. But it took going away for Mel and Alex to uncover these parts of their personality and outlook. The apparent contradiction of going to be found binds Australians. Their gameness for adventure is rooted in their country's story of migration and makes their journeys authentically Australian. There's a saying in Australia that there is nothing more Australian than spending time in somebody else's country. Even the older generations get this. They know it's inevitable that young people will leave on their own adventures. It's just a part of growing up. We spoke with John's grandmother at the end of our time in Australia. She is known affectionately by her family as Nan. Nan has witnessed a lot of coming and going in her life. Her children and grandchildren have all traveled, and she told us stories of a trip to Edinburgh with her husband. She also told us about the first time her daughter Robin traveled overseas after high school. Well, she told a great big fib. She told me she was gone for 12 months and the girlfriend said to me after she'd left, she said, don't expect her in 12 months time, probably two years you might see her. <laughs> oh God, that's the last I want to see. <laughs> last thing I want to hear. Anyway, she was over there and back and then, and then gone again and just come second nature then. We don't expect the people we talk to to stay put for long either. As John said, How can you not realize that the world is out there waiting for you? I would like to reach out my hand and tell you to run Nobody see, nobody young Well, pick me up with golden hand. Oh, let's sail. Oh, let's tell you to run. All the way. All the way. I'm over to see my buddy on. All the way. I'm over to see my buddy on.